I want to invite you to take your Bible to Matthew. We're taking our Bible and we're going to Matthew chapter 2. Call your attention to verse 11. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. This is what the scripture says. It says, it's speaking of these wise men, these men that were astrologers. They were well-born men, descendants of Daniel. Apparently, they had some, some money because they brought expensive, lavish gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But it says, when these wise men were coming to the house, they saw the young child. And notice when they got there, uh, he wasn't a baby. He was a young child. He was about two years old. It took them that long to cross the desert and Euphrates River. The wise men never came uh, to the manger. I know that messes up the story, but it's just not accurate. The Bible messes everything up. Amen? It really does. What most people want in preaching is they want ammunition. I learned a long time ago, yes, they want ammunition for what they already believe. But when you say something contrary to what they believe, then they really have a problem with it, even if it's the Bible. Amen? But I just made up my mind I'm going to preach the Word. See, <laughs> I, I, this, this, this is me. I'm not smart enough to preach anything but the Bible. But I'm too smart to preach anything but the Bible. Because one day I'm going to give an account before God. And he just said, Benny, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That's the day we're in. We're hunting preachers to scratch you on the back and tell you how God's going to heal you when preachers ought to be telling you how God's going to kill you if you don't get right with him. Amen? I don't know why I said all that. But anyway, verse 11 says, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. I want to take just a little while, and I want to talk to you about the message for us in the wise men's gifts. The message for us in the wise men's gifts. Now, folks, there will be more spent this year on Christmas gifts than any other year in the history of America. Everybody's searching for that perfect gift, searching for that perfect gift. They want to, they want to give that gift that, uh, that the person was wanting. And uh, this tradition started back with some wise men. It started with some wise men who literally brought gifts to Jesus. And perhaps you're searching for the perfect gift. I, uh, I received a gift this year for Christmas. I was in no way planning to receive the gift. I never fathomed I would receive the gift. But when I received the gift, I sensed the presence of God in an awesome, awesome way. Probably more than any gift I've ever received, I sensed the presence of God. Listen, 
I didn't have a, somebody said, hey, I want to do this, and they gave me a wonderful gift. I think they've got a picture of the gift. You guys? <laughs> Almost heaven, amen? That's what we'll be riding in heaven one day. Sure as everything. What a precious gift. I received the gift and cried like a baby. But uh, this whole deal, this whole deal of giving we do. You said, Pastor, what happens at your house every year? It's, it's always the same. Savannah Abigail is in the service today. She hates I called her name. But anyway, she's in the service today. And when she was a little girl, uh, before she would go to bed, we would put out what Santa really likes. Now, let me give you an insight. It's not milk and cookies that he's wanting. What he's wanting is banana pudding and Diet Mountain Dew. That's what he really wants. And we would put it out. And then on Christmas morning, we would get up, still do, read Matthew chapter 2, read the Christmas story. After we read the Christmas story, we'd sing happy birthday and still do, happy birthday to Jesus because it's his birthday that we're celebrating. And after we sing happy birthday to Jesus, we bow our heads and we thank him for the gifts because he's the giver of all the gifts, folks. He's the giver. Yes, you can give him praise. He's the giver of everything we have. And then, of course, we would open the gifts. Now, what I want us to do, I want us to look at the message for us in the wise men's gifts. I, I read about a man who really spoiled his wife. I mean, he just would spoil his wife. He would just lavish her with gifts. And one day he was away on a business trip, and he saw this parrot. And they said, that parrot, that bird right there, speaks 11 different languages. And he said, I want to get that bird for my wife. Paid $20,000 for a bird. And he said, I want you to put a bow on that bird's head, and I want to ship it back to my wife. And he shipped it back to his wife, and he got home, and he said, Honey, what would you think about my gift? What would you think about the Christmas gift? She said, Oh, it's wonderful. She said, it's in the oven right now. <laughs> he said, that bird spoke 11 different languages. And she said, well, why didn't it say something? <laughs> well, here's what I believe. There were three gifts that the wise men brought. I don't know that there was three wise men, but there were three gifts that they brought of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I believe there's an underlying message that those gifts say something, folks. I don't know that those gifts are all about Jesus. I think those gifts partly may be about us because I think there's something in those gifts that the Lord wants us to see. First of all, the gold teaches us that God's our provider. The gold teaches us that God is our provider. Now, here's what I want you to know. Joseph and Mary were a poor couple. He was just a carpenter. He was just a working man that worked with his hands. And when Jesus was born on the eighth day, they took him for purification. And on the eighth day, the day of purification, you were supposed to offer up a lamb as a sacrifice. But Leviticus 12 and 8 said if you were very poor, God would accept something else. He would accept two pigeons. And according to Luke chapter 2, verse 24, that's what Joseph and Mary did. They offered up two pigeons because they were a poor couple. He was born in a barn. 
It was actually a cave. He was born in a cave. He was born in a manger. They were very poor. And the Scripture says that these wise men come, and they bring a gift of gold. Now, think about that, folks. That doesn't seem like an appropriate gift. Why would you bring, I don't know what the gold, but I know a brick of gold today is worth $325,000. Wish I had some bricks. But anyway, a brick of gold's worth $325,000. I don't know what the brick of gold was worth in that day, but I know they brought it to a poor couple. But then I realized something. God told Joseph in a dream, God speaks to us sometimes in dreams. He said, don't go back. You go to Egypt, which was about 400 miles, by the way. And here's this poor couple, and God says, go to Egypt. Now, he's just a carpenter, folks. He doesn't know anybody in Egypt. He has to go to Egypt and set up family. He has to go to Egypt and set up business. So what was God doing with that brick of gold? God was providing for this couple. And see, folks, here's what I want us to know. God's never late. God's never late. Now, this is what I've learned about God. He seldom early. <laughs> but he's always right on time. He's always right on time. See, let me tell you something. One of my favorite verses, if I signed your devotional, and I've signed a bunch of them, if I signed your devotional, I signed my name, and then I put Psalms 37 and 25. My entire Christian life, it's been my life verse. My entire Christian life, it's been my favorite verse. It says, I'm young. I was young, but now I'm old. And I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. See, folks, I want you to understand, I don't know, I don't know your situation in life, but I know God will provide for you. I know if you're a college student, God will provide for you. I know if you're a single mom, God will provide for you. I know if at the end of the month, you've got more month than you do money, God will provide for you. Because where God guides, he provides. And where God leads, he succeeds. And God would bankrupt heaven if it took that to meet our need. Let me tell you something, folks. I've had good times in my Christian life. I've had low times in my Christian life. I've had money in my pocket, and I've got groceries on credit. I've had shoes on my feet, and I've taped up my shoes because I didn't have shoes to wear. But I want you to know this. God is always provided, and he's more than enough. He's Jehovah Jireh, the God that will meet our every need. So I believe when they brought those gifts and they brought that gold, God was saying to me, and God was saying to you, you can trust me. You can trust me because I'm going to provide for you. Folks, it was a great day in my life. It was a great day in my life when I realized I don't live off your giving. I live off my giving because God said, if you give, I'll give unto you. If you give, I'll bless you. If you bless other people, Benny, I'll bless you because he's such a good God and he's worthy to be praised and he's worthy to be exalted and he's worthy to be told again and again, thank you, Lord, for how you bless me. The gold teaches us. 
God's our provider. But there's a message for you, and I want you to get it, and I need to get it too. I'm not pointing at you. I always keep in mind a lot of these guys pointing fingers. I wonder if they ever realize there's three pointing back. It's a message for you, and it's a message for me. The frankincense teaches us something. The frankincense teaches us that God deserves our praise. He deserves our praise. You know, uh, every time frankincense or incense is mentioned in the Bible, it was usually connected with a high priest, and it was always about praise and worship. And the reason, think about this, folks. I, I wouldn't offend anybody. That's not my goal. But let me tell you something. The Scripture says, Great peace have they which love the law, and nothing shall offend them. Great peace have they which love the law, and nothing shall offend them. If you're constantly being offended, you need to grow up. You need to get a life. You need to get the chip off your shoulder. It's just an indicator there's wood higher up. Some of you are slow, but you're worth waiting for. I wouldn't offend anybody, but I want you to get this. They brought the frankincense. In verse 11, guys, I want you to, if we could pull that up. Can we do that? It says, and when they were coming to the house, they saw Mary, his mother. Now, I'm so grateful for this little old 14, 15-year-old girl that some said was illiterate. That was just a poor peasant girl. I'm grateful for her. But the Scripture says they fell down and they worshiped him. Not her, ladies and gentlemen, but him. No, not her. No, 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 not, not the pastor, but him. Not, 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 not worshiping worship, but worshiping him. Not, not worshiping a style of song, but worshiping him. Not worshiping anything. Not, not worshiping the keychain, but worshiping him. Just, it's all about him, ladies and gentlemen. It's all what, what, what God was saying to us. What God was saying to us is he wants the frankincense to remind us that our lives are to be in worship to him. Our lives are to be in praise to him. Our lives are to be in living a life that's continually loving the Lord. Not a church, not a denomination. Oh, friend, that matters not. It matters not if you're Baptist. It matters not if you're Methodist. It matters not if you're Presbyterian. It matters not if you're Pentecostal. It matters not if you're black. It matters not if you're Hispanic. It matters not if you're white. We were all created with one purpose in mind just to worship him just to worship him just to worship him that's our reason that's our reason for being here nothing more nothing less what's Christmas about it's about worshiping him they brought the gifts but they worshiped him see this is this is what I know folks this is what I know there's a message. There's a message for us. Let me tell you something. I, I, don't, I don't have everything down. I'm not some super Christian. I'm not some super Christian. I wish I was a better Christian than I am. I'm not some superman. I'm not some super husband. I'm not some super father. But I can tell you this. I love him. I love him. And I'll tell you what I've, I've come to realize. 
praise changes the spiritual climate. You know, too many people are, are singing. I mean, maybe they're not singing it vocally, but, but they're singing it with their lifestyle. They're singing the hee-haw song. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. <laughs> Deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. You know, folks, you get with people and they just pull you down. Just pull you down. I mean, just certain people, if you're suicidal, you just don't want to be around, you'll pull the trigger. <laughs> I mean, you just don't want to be around them, you'll pull the trigger. But I tell you what we ought to do. We ought to get some praise phrases. We ought to say, Lord, you're the lifter of my head. God, you're my deliverer. You're my provider. You're my peace. You're my joy. You're my tranquility. You're my healer. You're more than enough. You're Jehovah Rapha. You're Jehovah Jireh. You're Jehovah Shammah. You're God of more than enough. Listen to me, folks. The frankincense teaches us that God deserves your praise. Let me tell you something right now. If I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. And if you got what you deserved, you'd be in hell. But God's been good to us, and he's redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. Let me, let me tell you something. Folks, if I had my way, if I had my way, I'd love to be just a communicator that could sit on a stool and speak softly. But, friend, I'd fall off that stool. I just get to thinking about what God's done for me. I get to thinking about where he brought me from. I get to thinking about how good he's been to me. A man came to hear me. I came a few weeks ago back home. He said, Benny, I, I knew you as a boy. And he said, I always thought you'd be in prison. I went back home and preached. And a judge came to hear me preach. And the judge said, I always thought you'd stand before me. I just never thought he'd be in a pulpit. Oh, folks, let me tell you something. God is so wonderful. God is so wonderful. God is so worthy to be praised. See, the gold teaches us that God's our provider. The frankincense teaches us that God deserves our praise. But the myrrh teaches us that God's permanent, that God's permanent. What did they use myrrh for in biblical times? If you even think about when they was going to wrap up the body of Jesus Christ in the book of John, it was used, ladies and gentlemen, in death. It was used in death. What's the myrrh provide us? What's the myrrh teaches us? God's the only one that will go with us all the way. Friday, I preached a funeral. I was in North Georgia preaching a funeral. And I looked down, and I saw the little wife, and I saw the two young children. And they loved this 44-year-old man that I was preaching his funeral. And I knew him when he was a boy. And I thought... They went with him as far as they could go. They went with him as far as they could go. But there's one who can go with him all the way. 
And friend, he's the one that can go with you all the way. See, there was a time that you was not, but there never will be a time that you will not be. And you're going to need somebody to go with you all the way. Let me give you two verses and I'm done. Think about those wise men. (laughs) They call them wise men, but they got lost. (laughs) Those guys just wouldn't ask directions, amen, I guess. If it had been women, they would have. Yeah, that's the truth. (laughs) I've often said, uh, when you don't listen to your wife, you miss 50% of what God's saying to you. They get there. They're lost. You know, folks, if you're going to find Jesus, you got to get lost. If you're going to find Jesus, you got to get lost. I'm good as so-and-so. What does that matter? I was born into a Christian family. Being born in a garage doesn't make you a Ford. I'm good. Well, how good you got to be? I'm better than so-and-so. Well, how good you got to be? I don't go to church because there's so many hypocrites. Well, if the hypocrite's standing between you and God, apparently the hypocrite's closer to God than you are. I'd come down to your church, Brother Benny, but there are too many hypocrites. Come on down. One more won't hurt anything. They got lost. You got to get lost, folks, and realize you need a Savior. The first question in the Bible, God asked, Genesis 3 and 9, God said to Adam, where art thou? God knew exactly where he was. God's omniscient. He knew exactly where Adam was. He wanted Adam to know where Adam was. What God's saying to you, where are you right now? Where are you with me? Where are you with me? That's what God's saying to every one of us. Every person that's listening, God's saying to you, where are you? Not not, not where your wife thinks you are, not where your parents think you are, but where are you? Where are you? Because you know where you're at, and only I know where I'm at. That's the question that God said, where are you at? God's wanting you to ask that question. God's wanting me to ask that question. Where are you? That's the first question of the Old Testament. But look at the first question in the New Testament. By the way, the wise men ask it. Where is he? You know the answer for the question, where art thou? Here's the answer. Where is he? I figured out where I'm at, and I need him. I figured out where I'm at, and I need him. See, folks, that's why he came. That's why he came. That's why he wasn't born so we could sing by your baby button. He was born because a holy God sent his son, and that son lived 33 years and died on a cross for every sin that you ever have committed or every sin that you ever will commit. They were nailed to Jesus Christ. So see, they got to be a payment for sin. You say, Pastor, I don't like it when preachers preach like this. I could care less. But listen, there's got to be a payment for sin. It's either going to be 
pardoned in Christ or punished in hell. But there will be a payment either way. And you've got to decide, how can my sin be pardoned? Simply by accepting the baby that was born in Bethlehem. Friend, I trust the message today has spoken to your heart. And if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to challenge you to do that today. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And I've often said, it's as simple as ABC. A stands for acknowledge. You've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner. B stands for believe. You've got to believe that Christ and His blood was shed on the cross for your sin. And then C, you simply must confess your sins to Him. I want to encourage you right now to repeat a simple prayer with me. I'll pray the prayer. You repeat it with me if you'd like to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. But God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry I want to change. I believe that you died for my sin. And I confess my sin to you right now. Come into my heart, Lord, and forgive me of all my sin. Now thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for coming in to my life. Amen. Friend, congratulations on the greatest decision that you'll ever make. And I want you to know, this decision is not based on how you feel right now. Because God's not a feeling. He's a fact. This decision is based on the fact that you have done what God's Word says you must do to have eternal life. So congratulations on the greatest decision you'll ever make. And thank you for being with us today. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.